0: you've done. We're looking at a a sermon series on heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like. Last week we talked about heaven in four words. I know everybody wasn't here uh, last week, but lots of you were. So I'm going to do something I very rarely do. I'm just going to ask you to help me with those four words. See if you remember uh, what we learned a little bit last week, okay? Because we're going to kind of dovetail off of that. Heaven in four words. Give me one of those words. New. That's the first word. Everything's going to be new in heaven. Isn't that great? What's the next one? Near. Near. Right. We're going to be near to God. God's going to be near to us. It's going to be real. So the third word? No. No no crying, no mourning, no pain. None of Heaven's going to be great for what's not going to be there. No. N-O. And the fourth one? No. No. Not the same kind of no. It's the K-N-O. And that's where I want to start today. How you can know you're going to heaven. For everybody in America that thinks they're going to hell, there are 120 people who think they're going to heaven. Now, why not? I mean, why would we, anybody, think that they're going to hell? But the truth is... Jesus says, and we're going to look at it in just a moment in Matthew 7, that the road to hell is broad, the road to heaven is narrow. And so when we think about how we can know that we're on the road to heaven, we think about what John writes. In 1 John 5, 13, he writes uh, these words. He says, I have written this. The whole little book of 1 John, I'd encourage you to read that. We're going to start doing that as a family, all three of our kids and in-laws and all that. Just focus on those five chapters. There's lots of good meat there. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I know there are people in this place besides myself who know you're going to live forever with God in heaven. Now, there are other people in this place who are a little doubtful. You don't know whether you're going to go or not. You're hoping. You're wishing. You're, you have this uh, idea that you want to do better than you do bad and that somehow the, the skills are going to balance in your favor. But, folks, remember, that's not the way you get there. You can never be good enough. We get there only one way. The way Jesus says. Because our hope is in Jesus and in heaven. A person and a place. Jesus says, I'm the way. The truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. No one gets there apart from Jesus. And His grace and His sacrifice on the cross... Us. he took our place. That's the good news. You have to put your faith and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. That's the key. You have to put your faith in him. I want to give you a little uh, good news from the CDC. Anybody want good news from the, the CDC or the who? All right listen to these statistics for just a moment. If you would, Here, we'll just go worldwide. Who? Good news. Hang on. Three people every second die. 180 every minute. 11,000 every hour. 250,000 every day. And 91,250,000 on average every year. Die. What's good news about that? The good news is you don't have to die forever. We're all going to die. And here, here's the good news from the the who, okay? I, I've added this to the end just so it would kind of put a little perspective on that. To this point, and this is a lot, I know this, I don't want to make light of the virus and all of that's going on. I know you hear a lot about that. 426,000 as of yesterday 9 o'clock yesterday morning, according to John Hopkins, 426,427 people worldwide have died of this virus. 426,000, that's a lot, a lot of people, I know that. But compared to the 91,250,000 that are going to die this year anyway, It's only 0.4%. To me, that's good news. That this virus is not going to get us. But we're all going to die. And so we've got to prepare to die. Because we're really not ready to live until we're ready to die. Philip of Macedon, I don't know if you know that name or not. It was Alexander the Great's dad he had commissioned one of his servants to remind him every day, first thing in the morning, Philip, you will die. Louis XIV, on the other hand, from France, would never let the word death be spoken in his presence. Now, most of the time we want to live more like Louis than we do like Philip. We don't want to think about those things. And yet, we've got to. Because here's the statistic that you all know and I know. One in one, 100% of us are going to die. Look Look at the person next to you. Turn to the person on your left and just say, you're going to die. That's a sobering thing, isn't it? Turn to the person on your right. And just call them by name and say, you're going to die. You're going to die. Oh. Now we're laughing. Why are we laughing? Because we have hope beyond the grave. Because even though we die, we live. That's what Jesus says when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. We can, as Christians, laugh about death. But think about this for just a moment. We live in this in-between on earth. We get the best things on earth. We we get a glimpse of heaven when we think about the best things on earth. The birth of a child, the sunset, the sunrise, the mountains. Oh, I think about the mountains. I like, you like the mountains? I like the cool air. The beach, you can have the beach all day long. It's too hot. I tell people when I'm on the beach, they think I'm a beach whale, you know. But I like the mountains. In fact, in a, in a couple of weeks, Jeff and I are going to escape to to Breckenridge, Colorado. We're excited about that. And we've never been there before, and so we've asked some people that we know who have been there about some things, some places to eat and some things like that. Could you imagine for just a moment them saying to us, okay, there are two ways to get to Breckenridge. One is going to lead you to your, your place where you're staying in 4 o'clock road, and the other is going to lead you over the cliff. Wouldn't they want to make sure that we took the right road, and that they would warn us about the one that would go over the cliff, right? well, when we think about death, sometimes we all we focus in on on is is how to get to heaven, but we also want to make sure we want to make sure those people that we love how sorry would it be, or how much does a person have to hate somebody to to lead them down the the wrong road see we think we're we're going to heaven by default, and that's the first question of our sermon we're kind of going to kind of get into it. Matthew 13, if you turn to the text, we're going to get there in just a moment. And we talk about what the kingdom of heaven is like. But before we get there, I want to ask you this question. Do you think that heaven is our default destination? Or is hell? Why would a loving God make our default destination hell? Well, before you think about that answer that listen to what Jesus says on the sermon in the sermon on the mount Matthew 7 we have that now Matthew 7 you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many listen to this for the many who choose that way it was never God's intention for anybody to go to hell hell was created for the devil Satan and his demons and yet we choose it because of sin and the brokenness that comes about because of sin and there are a lot of more folks on the road to hell it says here Then the next verse says, but the gateway to life is narrow and the road is difficult and only a very few find it. The scripture says, makes it clear, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. That doesn't just mean that we're physically going to die, but it also talks about the the spiritual death that Revelation talks about. That we're... The um, wages of that, the price to pay for that is death. But, the gift of God is eternal life. Lived in a place called heaven. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, you can choose hell, or you can choose Jesus. And I'm asking you, I'm wanting you, if you haven't already, and I know many of you have, and the the key now is if you've already chosen that way, is to help other people understand the way. Right? That's our task. Remember, there are only two things that we will not be able to do in heaven that we can do on earth. Two things. Anybody know what they are? Number one is sin. We won't be able to sin in heaven. We won't need to. Everything will be great. Our desires, all our desires will be met. The second thing is, is what? Share Jesus. Everybody there knows Him. Now you tell me, do you think God left us here to sin or to share Jesus? And so when we talk about this whole subject and you say, okay, I've got my ticket punched. I know I'm in. Are you just going to let people go down the wrong road go over the cliff? you got a cure to to cancer. You're going to tell them, especially those people you love. That's why there are 250,000 people in the world that die every day are not your responsibility, but the 8 to 15 in your oikos, if they don't know Jesus, God has given them to you. Understand that? God wants to use you. He has supernaturally and strategically placed them and you in their sphere of influence. And so, what are you going to do about that? You've got to know the way The way to get on the right road is to understand we all need Jesus. That's admit we're a sinner. B is believe Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sin. Turn away from that sin. And C, choose Him. Choose to follow Him. That's why we say it all the time. It's as simple as ABC. Now, I know there's a bunch of Christians in here already. Why would I tell you that over and over and over again? Because I want you to share it with somebody else. You don't really know a truth until you share a truth. You don't really live a truth until you share it. So there are people you know who need to know how to get to heaven. And and we want to know for sure... Um, what that's like, and how to live until then. That brings me to the second question of our text. The main question of our text and the second question of the sermon. We'll just stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to just look at uh, verses 24 through 30, and then we're going to look at some other chunks as well. And, And I want, if you're reading out of your own copy of Scripture and you can look at the whole page, you see, we got the parable of the wheat and the weeds, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, up in verses 24 through 30, and then down in verse 36 through 43, you've got an an explanation of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. In between there, you've got two other parables. Just a a word of interpretation about this. This is what we call an inclusio or a, a sandwich, okay? And there's some meat in there when we talk about the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven in just a moment. They're just brief words, but there's, they're words that I think we need to, to apply that also apply to this parable about the wheat and the weeds. Okay, so the question I want to answer primarily in the parable of the of the wheat and the weeds is the question that Jesus asked here. I think he asked is how do we get rid of, of evil without destroying good? Okay, so we're, we're talking about heaven and hell, but at the same time, there's a section of this that uh, talks about evil, getting rid of evil without destroying the good. Would you keep your ears and eyes open for it as we look at it together? Verse 24, this is the second parable in this chapter. Here's another story Jesus told them. He's preaching from a boat here. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. Then slipped away. And when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir... The field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds, where did they come from? An enemy's done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. And then I'll tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Now, look at the interpretation Jesus gives here. Verse 36. By the way, he he told parables to to test the crowds to see whether they were open to spiritual things, but he told parables to to teach those who were already following his disciples. And his disciples come to him in verse 36, leaving the crowds outside. Jesus went into the house, and his disciples said, Please, explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. But we don't get it. And the part they didn't get is, why didn't the farmer tell his workers to pull the weeds? Wouldn't you think that Jesus would want to get rid of evil? Well, let's look. Jesus replied, the Son of Man is the farmer who plants the the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom, and the weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world. And the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will remove from His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. You be seated for just a moment, would you, as we look at this and try to unpack this and see what Jesus is talking about here in this, and how how in the world can we uh, get rid of evil? Isn't that a pretty pertinent question? without destroying good in our day. Well, first thing I want you to see is there's an enemy here. As Jesus tells his story, it's not the main part uh, of the parable, but there is an enemy. And you and I know who that enemy is. Jesus defines it here. Defines who it is. And who is it? Satan, the devil, the evil one. Evil comes from the evil one. And when and, and we think about the devil, you say, "Cow." you really believe in the devil? Of course I believe in the devil because Jesus did battle with the devil. Our battle is not against flesh and blood but against spiritual forces in heavenly places. We know there's still evil in our world and we know the evil one is still behind all of it. So our two great errors in dealing with the devil and the Satan, the evil one, is one, we attribute everything to him. The devil made me do it. No. Uh, The devil's working in my marriage, or the devil's working at work, or or, the devil's working in our world right now. And we attribute everything to him. He doesn't have that much power. The scripture tells us clearly that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The other great mistake, though, is on the other side. We don't we don't acknowledge him at all. He's real, and we we just dismiss everything as some other form. Or something else is going on. But he's real. And so Jesus knows that. And, and in this parable, he works so slyly to help a, his followers understand that. The word for, for weeds here is a word that, that describes a weed called darnel, which darnel would look exactly the same as wheat in the early stages. I never seen that until I studied this passage a little, little closer. And so what was going on, and this is how the devil works, he doesn't, he doesn't overtly come at you. It, it's subtle. It's always subtle. And it always seems like it's God. Remember the very first temptation in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3? The devil says, Satan says to Eve, did God really say uh, you, you can't eat of any tree? Well, Eve knows how to refute that. She said, no. He said, only the one in the middle and you should, and what she says is, and you shouldn't even touch it. God never said that. Eve be, becomes stricter than God. And, and the the evil one, Satan, opened her up to that. And that's how he tends to do. And so in this parable, Jesus is telling us about the the evil one has sown this seed. And at first, you can't tell the difference. And it gets to a point where it's too late. You can't harvest You can't pull out the weeds because they're going to do damage to the good stuff. But here's what I want you to hear today. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, it's never too late for anybody in this place. Never. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've thought, no matter how you've lived growing up, no matter even what you've believed to this point it 's never too late for God to to transform you from the from the inside out in just a moment we 're going to look at mustard seed eleven and there's going to be lessons there that will show us that clearly but for the moment, just consider that that 's one of the things Jesus I think is teaching his disciples that there is an evil one but there 's more as we look at this this passage a little closer, there's more than just the fact that there's a, an evil one. The second thing I want you to see is when we talk about getting rid, rid of evil, we almost always talk about it out there. We'll talk about it in, in the form of, well, our nation has gone gotten so far from God. And, and that although that's true, We always, what are you going to do about the nation being far from God? Because when we talk about evil, we've got to start here. What needs to happen here? Because I can't control what happens in Washington. I wouldn't even want to begin. But I do have the responsibility to control what happens here and the choices that I make. You see, the the life we live now matters. The choices we make now matter for all of eternity. The choice whether to go our own way or the the way of the Lord. To choose to let Jesus be your your Savior and your your boss and your Lord or to do things your own way. It matters for all of eternity. Because what's going on and this parable is that the master farmer operates different than, than the workers, doesn't he? See, the workers want to pull the weeds, but the master farmer, he's patient. Patient for the harvest. Aren't you glad? You remember who Jesus says the, the farmer is? It's the son of man, it's him. Aren't you glad Jesus is patient with you? Has been patient with you? The scripture says that God is patient. 2 Peter 3, 9. Not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. So you have an opportunity to respond to him even today. Say, I don't want to go my own way. I don't want to do things my own way. I'm thankful that He is patient. But I'm also thankful that we can trust Him to take care of the evil. That's where the parable of the mustard seed comes in. Look at verse 31. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nest in its branches. Now, how he doesn't explain this one. I wish he did. But here's here's an explanation. Okay, I think it's an accurate one, a pretty close one, as best I can can interpret what's going on here. The, the mustard seed so small, such an inconspicuous, insignificant, inauspicious. Oh, those are great words, aren't they? I can't spell them, but I can say them. Hey, beginning. The kingdom of heaven starts small, but it explodes. Great things are in store. And I I want to connect this to what Jesus says about the mustard seed in Matthew 17, 20. He says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible. He starts that section in Matthew 17 by saying, you don't have enough faith. After his disciples tried to do a miracle that they thought they should be able to do, he says, you don't have enough faith. Now, all through Christianity and through the ages, people have abused that verse to say, well, you'd be healed if you just had enough faith. That's not what Jesus is teaching. He's not talking about faith healing. He's talking about how small amount of faith you have to have in the right object, in the right thing, or more accurately, in the right person. Faith, you see, is the key to access heaven, to access the the power of God, to access the goodness and grace of God, it's faith. It's believing. The Scripture said without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. In Hebrews 11, 6, it's impossible to please God without faith. The Scripture says in in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that it is by grace that you have been saved, but through faith. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. See, you can miss heaven because you don't accept the gift of God that comes through Jesus Christ and what He's done for us on the cross. Because we would give anything, any price to avoid hell and obtain heaven, wouldn't we? But we haven't Had to give anything. We've had to accept the price that's been paid because we were bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 6.20. He did it for us. But we have to accept it. You know that? Can you share that? Because as we think about how we get rid of evil without doing harm to good. We, we've got to tr- trust that He's going to take care of that in the end because we're not the ones who are going to get rid of evil. We're not the ones who have paid the price for that. The Master waits to the end, and then He separates. The sheep from the goats, the weeds from the wheat, And we want to make sure that we are the righteous who shine, don't we? How can we make sure of that? Well, by faith, like the mustard seed, but also by leaven. Look what the kingdom of heaven is like in verse 33. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour enough to feed about 100 people, it permeated... Every part of the dough. Anybody ever make bread in here? Anybody? Anybody? Ever? Raise your hand. I just want to see who can bring me some bread sometime. You know, You know, he, he moves from this farmer illustration to this baker illustration. He moves from really what was known as a man's occupation to, in those days, a woman's occupation. Uh, the baking thing. And he, he wants to cover everybody, but he wants to remind them that... The kingdom of heaven is like leaven; it just takes a few to permeate the whole batch. What does what does yeast do? It causes the bread to rise. I don't know how to bake bread, but I know that, and it causes the bed the bread to to expand. So what he's saying is there there are a few leaven folks who, if they will permeate the whole batch, if they'll get the real thing that. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, will both rise and expand. The power of God. You and I have that opportunity, don't we? Also means, notice the the words, you put, the lady just put a little bit of yeast. That that word is, is mixed or really, literally hid the yeast in the whole bag. And, and so, the way the, the yeast works, the way the leaven works, is from the inside out. There's an inward transformation. That's what happens to us. As God comes into our lives, the Holy Spirit comes in. He's working. We don't always see how yeast works. We don't always know even that it's working. But we know We know He's working. And He wants to use us to expand, raise His kingdom. Martin Luther King Jr. says, darkness cannot extinguish darkness. Only the light can do that. Hatred cannot defeat hatred. Only love can do that. In our day, do we still need that word? That the leaven can permeate the whole batch. That you can love folks and make a difference in this world. I want to close with an illustration of a woman named Florence Chadwick. Florence was the first woman who... Swam the English Channel 21 miles. Now, here's a... Anybody raise their hand ever swam 21 miles? (laughs) Nobody? Me either. Who in the world would want to swim 21 miles? That's a long ways. But she did it in 1952. And so she thought she was going to do it again, and she swam from uh, the Catalina Island off the the coast of California to the coast of California 21, 21 miles, same distance that she had swam before. But it was a foggy... and and chilly day. And in that swim, she got so exhausted. All she could see in front of her was just the the boat that was with her and she could barely see it. And and she's about a half mile and her mother's just urging her on, you're almost there. You're almost there. But, But she quits. She gets in the boat. And later, she says these words about that experience. She says, all I could see was the fog. I think If I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Why did I tell you that? Because heaven is the shore. Jesus is the shore. And how are people going to see Jesus without you and me? We've got this great opportunity during this season in our world. Will we take full advantage of it? Especially with our oikos? Or will will we just go back to life as usual? Let's pray together. Father, help us to be people of faith. Trusting you to work through us. Father, help us to be like the Apostle Paul who said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I pray in in these moments as we talk about in song surrendering everything that people who don't know for sure they're on the way to heaven would consider today being the day that they can know and surrender everything. Father, I pray for those people who do know. Who do know they're going to spend eternity with you in heaven. I pray that they would consider how they can surrender so that they can let other people know. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for these opportunities in these days. In your holy name we pray. Jesus.